Hello and welcome back to the True Crime Guys podcast. I'm Lauren. And I'm Michael. How we doing, everybody? Got a big one, a two-parter for you. I'm excited about this one, man. No one, no one better suited to cover the Binions than us. You know, I've said it before, right. and I can't believe we haven't done it before. Um, We've had it suggested several times. It was time to do yeah, it. Yeah, it, it was an it. undertaking because there's just so much history here. And you know, and being a, a Las Vegas local, I wanted to do it justice. I couldn't half-ass it at all. You know, not that I ever want to half-ass anything, but this one I wanted to particularly make sure I got a book and really studied it and couple that with my my knowledge of Vegas having been born and raised here. Exactly. So. That's why I think you're the perfect person to help tell this story. I think Yeah, but I also I'm I'm 33, so like most of this history happened well before me and now it's a different town right, than it was right. then obviously. There's no mob influence that. left. It's all commercialized and so it was fun for me to learn and I, I wish I could have experienced it a little bit like been around to just see right. Las Vegas in the in the 40s, 50s, 60s, see it turn into what it is now where it was just I mean, kind of a little dust bowl with some casinos and yeah, a big yeah. mob influence. <laughs> but I mean, but you have parents, grandparents that were around during this time, yeah. right? Who were Vegas uh, oh, locals, yeah. and I'm sure you've heard stories about the Binions and whatnot. But to, yeah. but honestly, to the rest of the country and the rest of the world, Benny Binion is not a household name, dude. I I wasn't no. very familiar no. with the Binions uh, until I went to Vegas, and even then, not right. so much. I never really looked into it. I just kind of knew, you know, Binion's Horseshoe Hotel, whatever, this and that. But I I didn't ever think twice about it. I didn't know that, especially Benny Binion, uh, lived this crazy outlaw, like, Wild oh West-style life. Um, it's yeah. incredible. Part one, this uh, this episode you're listening to is all Benny Binion, the, the you know, the, the, the patriarch of the family, if right. you will. Yes, he originally um, and got... A, really a founding father of Las Vegas, a big... A big part of why Las Vegas is what it is today is because of Benny Binion, but he was also a complicated man and a, I would argue not a good man. Let's call a spade a spade to use poker terms. Yeah, not a yeah, good yeah. guy on paper. Well, a lot of things he did, but he was also beloved and remains kind of a beloved figure in Las Vegas still to this day for helping to create what it is. Right. I think for his time period, I think he was a very fair man, but I don't think he has nearly the success he has if he's a good man, as you say. I'm using quotes here uh, because right. the terms and definitions have changed so much over the years. Um, and, and if you ask people now, at least from what I can tell, Benny Binion still has a pretty good uh, reputation in Las Vegas. Ain't that right? Oh, I no mean, doubt. I think overall, it, it, his, he's, he's, his history was a little bit whitewashed. You know, it was like, oh, we'll, we'll keep the good. We'll, we'll throw out the bad. We'll, we won't yeah. talk about that too much. You, if you dig deep, you can find the murders he was involved in and a lot of the beatings that, right. you know, patrons of the Binions that either ripped them off or they thought ripped them off. Got, uh, they got severely beaten. And one person uh, even was shot right in the street by security of, bin, of the Binions, right? In the, shot him in the head right, right there on the, in Fremont but Street. You're talk, but you're and talking about And they got away with it a lot. But you're talking about a man who had to protect his assets and his family against the Wild West at the time. The police, the police yeah. wouldn't do shit. They're not, you know what I'm saying? It's a different time. Well, they man. also wouldn't do shit because he, he, they, they were working for him in a sense. Like he, they didn't, they weren't allowed into the Binions. A lot of police officers and like there was kind of an understanding was like he paid off, you know, the sheriff. He paid off local law enforcement and politicians and like he didn't yeah. want them to do anything. He wanted to take it into his own hands. Dude, all um, I'm the Binion, all I'm the Binions saying, was not the place to steal from. <laughs> if you've seen like right, movies right, right, where right. you know you steal and they take you in the basement and they you know cut your finger off or bash your head in or whatever that that was the Binions that <laughs> and was they the were Binions, not even right. shy about it. Right, but you have to understand that 
Benny Binion is not guilty of doing anything that any of these other uh, mafia slash cowboy casino bosses did back in the day. I yeah. mean, he's yeah. he actually seemed pretty fair uh, considering those standards. But definitely not saying he's a good dude. Uh, and no. you know, I don't worship the guy like a lot of people do. I feel like there's not that many good people in history, really on paper. When you look at like the things they did, especially people that make it to power, you know, in, in one in one form or another, they, right. they usually stepped on some heads to get there. That's right. That's right. But I mean, I guess overall, as far as your legacy is concerned, you just have to do more good than bad, or you have to make more of a good impact than a bad one. And people will remember yeah. you in a better light. I mean, I feel like, look at Pablo Escobar. You kill a few people, start a poker tournament, you know? Right. And there you <laughs> and go. Then you'll, and people, it'll all be forgotten. <laughs> well, it's not, I don't think it was the poker tournament, really. I think it was more all the money that he was given to the community and funding these projects. Oh, yeah, he definitely gave I back, mean, for he sure. Was the, he was like the Pablo Escobar of, of Vegas for a little while. You know what I mean? Yeah, to the, to that's, the a world, good, that's a good analogy. Yeah, to the world, he looked like this, this horrible, ruthless, casino, you know, money-hungry person. But to Las Vegas... They're like, oh, he's all right with us. You know, he kind of started this. He kind of helped us and helped build a lot of things in this city because he knew it would only help his businesses grow. Regardless of the reason, he helped a lot of people too. Yeah, and like like Pablo Escobar and like many um, mafioso that we've talked about before, it just don't get in their way and they'll be the you know a sweetheart to you. That was that That's was right. general. Benny Binion had this uh, jolly grandfatherly type of uh, vibe. Um, and as long as you didn't steal from his business or uh, challenge his business too much, especially back in Dallas when he, in his early days, as right. we'll find out with one man who was uh, had his life oh attempted to be taken yeah. uh, about yeah. 11 times. <laughs> okay. That's, that's, that's going to be a fun part of the story to tell. But yeah, right. just don't the, – the Benny Binions of the world, as long as you're not in their way, as long as you – you know, approach them and or try to befriend them. They'll be your best friend. They'll help you. They'll, you know, there were, he was known to sit at his little, he didn't have a, an office in the horseshoe in the right. Binion's horseshoe casino. He had a, a booth at the restaurant basically. And anybody it was said could approach him. And, um, if you were cool and, you know, talk stories with him, he might give you some free chips or comp you some food or whatever. And, yeah. uh, I love that. Um, I love that he just sat in that booth, man. I could just see him sitting in there in a dark corner under a light yeah. over the table, just working out his bills, mm-hmm. you know, counting his money. Much like a mafia boss. Yeah, <laughs> just chilling in there, smoking a cigar, you know, and you could yeah. go sit down and talk to Benny Binion if you wanted to. Yeah. And I am I was most aware of him, not, not so much because I was a Vegas local, but because I love poker. I love poker. I guess that's ironic because I did grow up in Vegas, but I, I'm one of those guys that watches the World Series of Poker from time to time. If I catch it on TV, I get sucked into it. Oh, I can't say that I'm an avid watcher and that I know exactly what's going on every year, but I do love it. I love the, the game. I've played a lot growing up with friends. We used to have tournaments ourselves, uh, Texas Hold'em tournaments, you know, yeah, um, winner take all type of thing, much like the World Series of Poker, which Benny Binion created. And so this is just a little bit of his legacy, and we're going to start at the beginning and go through the life of Benny Binion, and then in part two, we're going to go into the Binion family, the kids. He had five kids, and oh, they have some crazy stories, and one in particular I was about died to say, in a one in particular. very suspect fashion and has kind of dominated. Like uh, Ted Binion, his son, has actually become a kind of a bigger name of latter years because he died in a very suspicious manner and there was actually a couple people convicted for killing him and then got off. So yeah, we're going to cover that all in part two, but there's just too much on Benny Binion, the founder of this, of the Horseshoe Casino, the founder of the World Series of Poker. Um, The reason that the NFR is in Las Vegas every year 
is Benny yes. Binion, and we're going to go through his past. He started out in Texas, and we'll go through all that um, and more in uh, part yeah. one. So let's get into it. Let's do it, man. Benny, it is so peaceful up here. You talk about how much you like the casino atmosphere and the gambling, the excitement of all the people, and yet this is an entirely different world. I don't like this climate. Boy, what don't you like about it? Well, it ain't but about two months out of the year. It's good climate. Starting in right now. Down by August 1st, it'll be hot as, a, as a, the desert. And then by November the 1st, it'll be cold as Alaska. But you're up here a lot. Yeah. Why? Stuck with it. Oh, come on. No, I like it. Yeah. I was trotting along behind some horses up here a while back. I was kind of tired, and I said, look at me, I'm a damn fool. I've been trotting along behind these things for 69 years. <laughs> you ever going to keep up with them? Try. Yeah, yeah. Do my best. A lot of people say they'd rather be around horses than other people. What do you think about Oh, that? no. I like people, too. They're little good in everybody. But if they ain't no good in me, don't have to pay no attention to them. Get away from them. Bright light city, gonna set my soul, gonna set my soul on fire. Got a whole lot of money that's ready to burn. So get those stakes up higher. There's a thousand pretty women waiting out there. Benny Binion, the man, the myth, the legend. Um, his favorite uh, motto was, do your enemies before they do you. And this, sh this shows in his early days in Texas. He would, as we know, go on to found the infamous Binion's Horseshoe Casino in downtown Las Vegas. Still standing today, however, it's under different ownership and it's become commercialized and it's not the same. Who is it owned it by now? Before, it's, I think course. it's owned by like Caesars or something now, or who owns? Yeah, one of the big entertainment companies took okay. it over. Okay, I know it switched hands. The family, a few times. the 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 kids, even Benny's kids got older and kind of sold it off and sold off their rights to it. And for a while, I think it was his youngest daughter that was running it. Uh huh. Um, his son Jack had sold it to her or handed over to her, and like it just kind of got passed on. And I feel like those yeah, kids are like, we have so much money. Why do we need to work? You know, they're like, let's just sell yeah. all this stuff and just live our lives in Vegas. <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah, or become drug addicts yeah. and uh, everything yeah, else. whatever. Well, we're not talking about Ted yeah. yet. We're, we'll get to Ted Binion. Yeah, later. we'll get into the kids in part two. <laughs> right. We'll get into the kids in part two. Um, it is said that in Vegas, you can't understand the town without understanding t uh, Benny Binion. He put the gamble in Vegas. He was a large man that dressed like a mix between a mob boss and a cowboy, and he was almost completely illiterate. Um, he was described as one man, uh, as he looked like a happy baby with wrinkles. <laughs> no one in accurate. his right mind though. <laughs> um, legendary poker player, Doyle Brunson, um, was quoted as saying, no one in his right mind messed with Benny Binion. And he had that reputation as yeah, a guy that, that you wanted to have on your good side. Oh yeah, I could see that. He, he didn't look, he looked like a jolly guy, but he also looked like one of those guys that be nice to your face, but he's also sizing you up. And if he's seen you as a threat, it's not a good thing for you. Not a right. good thing. You might get uh, 
You might get a visit from his henchmen later. Yeah, that's right. Because he didn't do a whole lot of the the beatings and killings himself. He did a couple we'll get into in his early days. He had some blood on his hands, but um, at a certain point, once he got enough power, it was delegated out to his henchmen. Right, but and that's also, you know... That's also how you have a plausible di- deniability, right? I mean, it's like I didn't. Yeah, have you got to have that separation that. between you and the crime. Yeah, I didn't do that. You can't tie me to that scene. And also pay off a bunch of uh, powerful people. That always helps. That's that's the keys to getting away with. That's right. With uh, multiple murders and Benny, is like have someone else do it for you. Yeah. Tell them to do it, and then also pay off the, you know, the sheriff and the DA and everybody else are involved to where even if they do start looking at you, they're like, eh. That's right. And Benny, Benny, you know, he didn't mind that. Yeah. He didn't mind that at all. That was just part of doing business. He didn't mind the extra money he oh, yeah. had to pay out no. to keep his business, you know, under wraps or whatever. That was, oh yeah, yeah. There was there was no fighting from him on that. He he kept the law on in good terms. It seemed like just made his life easier. Yeah, yeah, sure did, sure did. So Benny Binion was born on November twentieth, nineteen oh four. Shares a birthday with President Elect Joe Biden. Oh, wow. Uh, also, Robert Kennedy okay. and Joel McHale, my favorite of Joel the three. Joel McHale. <laughs> oh, from Community. Yes. I don't like politicians, oh, so I know. don't take it yeah. personally. Yeah, no, 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 no personal. Joel McHale is hilarious. Just in general, I don't like or trust politicians. If you, if you, the more you get to know me, you'll realize that. <laughs> Dude, I, I think that's a uh, that's a pretty even consensus for most people. I think we get yeah. that. I, I think everybody. You, you feel like you pick the lesser of two equal two evils. Uh, and I think that becomes more and more true year after year. But Joel McHale, yeah. man, the king of sarcasm. Am I right? Like he's love Joel McHale. I would love to see like Joel McHale talking to like Paul Rudd, talking to like Adam uh, Ryan Reynolds, just all together having a debate or something. Oh God, you wouldn't be able to tell <laughs> what was what was uh, true <laughs> and what was serious? a joke the whole right? time. Nobody laughs. They're just all fucking busting each other's balls right. constantly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's underutilized in my opinion. I know he's out there, yeah. but like he should be more of a household name. That guy's a yeah, he's funny. He's a good-looking dude, and also he's just a brilliant guy. Yeah, he's hilarious. <clears throat> yeah. So Benny Binion was raised in Pilot Grove, Texas, north of Dallas. It was uh, rural to say the least. Its main street was a dirt road, mm-hmm. and this was also early 1900s America. So it, it, much of America was like that, I guess. Um, except for the major, you know, eastern, uh, east coast cities. Right, right. They were a little bit more established by then. But early 1900s in America was a time of economic growth, innovation, and expansion, except for Texas. Um, Texas remained closer to the Wild West for many years, rural and wild and lawless. It, it, it was early 1900s, Texas sounds like it was pretty damn close to the Wild West still. Well, it was. They, they I kind mean, of, think about it. The late 1800s, Billy the Kid was still alive. I mean, it, it, it yeah. sounds. It, when you think about them together, you're like, oh, those are these are lifetimes apart, but they're really not. You're talking 10 to 20 years here between the time when Benny Binion was born and Billy the Kid died. I mean, this is this is really yeah. close to the Wild West right here. Really mm-hmm. close. Yeah. Well, I think um cities popped up on on the West Coast because because of the gold rush. Mm-hmm. And that was that's how that's how you get like San Francisco right. and some of these major urban cities and stuff. But like Texas was still so rural. Um, I don't know when they when they really started finding oil. I think it was a little bit after this, wasn't it, in Texas? Or they, they probably had some oil pop up here oh, and there. Oh, yeah, probably. Um, was it, was uh, There Will Be Blood, was that in Texas? I'm trying to remember. I love that movie with Daniel Day-Lewis. Hmm, but that's, I'm not sure. I'll look it up real quick. Yeah, I could be way off. It could have been, they could have been already pumping oil out in Texas well before then, <laughs> you know, early 1900s. Right. Um, I was busy studying Benny, Benny guys. Right, yeah, give me a break. Um, <laughs> Based on the 1927 novel Oil by Upton Sinclair, There Will Be Blood is 
So he oh, wrote okay. that. So I was right. I think it was it was in the early 1900s yep. that they started drilling oil out yeah, of there. Yeah, because think about it. If he wrote that, it in 1927, so yeah, everything had to yeah. have happened way before that. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. So Benny's parents initially kept him out of school due to poor health. He had pneumonia five times before the age of five, so easily could have could have died. I was about to say even... it's impressive that he even lived having pneumonia five right. times before the age of five, especially in the Wild West. I mean, what do they do? They just mm -hmm. eh, keep him inside until he quits coughing. I mean, I mean, what what do you right. do? <laughs> Give him a shot of whiskey and put him yeah, down. Yeah, his <laughs> his father even kind of wrote him off. Um, <laughs> his father, a man named Lonnie, was a horse trader. Let him accompany him on trips, and his quote for doing so was, well, he's going to die anyway, so I might as well take him with Damn. me. Yeah. Damn. Pretty cold. Well, is it cold, but or did he want to that's kind of the way it was. We know that, like... Before he died, you know? It's like, you know... Yeah, I get that. These guys, you gotta, you, gotta, you gotta remember, we still have men, a lot of men in our society now that don't know how to show love and affection. You can imagine, in the 1900s, that's probably like saying... I love you, son. Come spend the rest of your life with me. You know, that's the, that's the equivalent of, well, he's going to die anyway, right. so I might as well take him with me. You know? It's right. like, oh, Dad, I, I love well you too, Dad. <laughs> right. Yeah, that was the sweetest thing you'd ever heard from That's right. Dad. That's right. Um, the outdoor life, however, actually restored uh, young Benny's uh, hey, health. Build some immunity. Um, Get those kids out. Right. Yeah, get him some fresh yeah, air. Get him some fresh air. Let him play in the Get him off that dusty farm for a bit. Hot damn. Yeah. Um, so the outdoor life actually restored his health, but led to Benny never having any formal education. Um, as he traveled with his father, he learned a different type of education. He learned to gamble, um, which was a, for, a favorite pastime for horse traders when they met up with farmers and merchants during the county fair trade days. So that was a way of kind of getting on common ground and making deals and stuff. It was like... Nowadays, a lot of rich guys do it on the golf course, but back then they, they played some poker right? Um, to get on the same page with another. That makes sense. Um, uh, he was quoted as saying, there's more than one type of education, and maybe I prefer the one I got, yeah. said Benny about you know his childhood growing up, not not getting the formal education, but getting that street education. That's right. There's something to, there's something to, be, uh, something to be said about that, apparently. And he made it, he made it yeah. work for him, not only for him, but for generations of his family. So, mm-hmm pretty impressive it's kind of hard to tell your um, kids to stay in school when you got people like this rocking around <laughs> right real quick i totally forgot to mention the book that i got for this that a lot of this information oh, yes, comes from do. a book called a book called blood aces the wild ride of benny binion the texas gangster who created vegas poker by doug j swanson fantastic book and it's actually free on audible it is a uh audible what was it um i forget what they call something it something choice editor's Choice yeah, it's like one of their Amazon choice books yeah. or whatever. And so if you if you uh, or Audible, sorry, Audible, if you get Audible, you get the app, um, create an account. It's you can get this book for free and listen to it. It's eleven hours in Audible audio form. However, the guy talks pretty slow, so you can speed it up a little bit if you just want the info. Right. Um, so yeah, it, it was a very good book, and it gave me most of the information for this uh, story. I so. don't think there's any more information out there on Benny than this book has. This book is. I can't imagine. Oh my there gosh! Would be. Like this book is in depth. Even the author. I listened to an interview with the author, and he talked about how all these records on Benny that the FBI had and police files and all this extra case stuff that was on Benny. No one ever asked for it before. No one has ever requested it. I guess. Yeah, they were worried about uh, that one of them visits from the henchmen. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> but now that he's gone, you know, I guess it's, it's safe to pull those. Right, but but it was like it's weird because it was during this time where I guess it had been so long everyone forgot about him, and this guy this guy's life is just waiting to be turned into a movie, 
and no one right. no one had even wrote a book. So no it's doubt, out there now. no doubt, uh, his life is it's got some crazy landmarks to it, um, a crazy violent past, mm-hmm. uh, rise to power. It's yeah, it, like so many movies made on crime bosses and stuff, but it, I mean, not too much on. A guy like Benny. Oh, no. this this could be done well by like Quentin Tarantino or somebody, or even even somebody like Clint Eastwood. I think would do this would do this movie justice. Oh yeah, you know this would be dope. Definitely. Yeah. So, um, on the road with his father early on, um, he became a, an expert at horse trading. He learned how to properly inspect a horse for disease and age, measuring the teeth. You know the whole that old long in the tooth mm-hmm. phrase. It's a legitimate thing. Horses' teeth uh, can tell their That's age right. by how long That's they right. are. Um, he got better and better at dealing with people and even ripping off other traders if they didn't know what they were doing. Yeah, I, in studying this, I actually learned a trick that traders would do to make a horse seem more lively. Did you do you know about this? No. Yeah. Did you give him some B twelve or no, something? No, it's something. Even, it's give way him a Starbucks cold brew, no, bro. It's way simpler than that. You know what they would? It's it's really cruel though. But they would take a pebble and put it in the horse's ear, and the horse would shake around and. And snort and like stomp uh, its feet, and it would just look lively. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. and these these uh, that's so fucked up. I know, right? <laughs> and these other traders are wanting these horses to break anyway, so they don't need a behaved horse. They just need a horse that's healthy right. with energy, right? So they can break it. And and that's that was a little trick. They put a little pebble in their ear, and it would drive the horses insane, and they would look lively as hell. Moral of the story: As we knew, humans are humans assholes. Are- <laughs> Humans Spoiler are alert! This is the kind of shit we do to animals. <laughs> Listen, just to make a what buck. episode are we on? Just to make, stick a fucking pebble in there. Twenty something. I think people know humans are assholes by now. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. So are politicians, right? Yeah. So Benny became infatuated with gamblers and their lifestyle during this time. So he's getting good at horse trail- trading, but his passion was was just being around gambling, and he was never really good at it himself. But he just loved it, and he. I think he more liked the, what it could become. He saw, uh, you know, there was, there was the person who was the smart one was the one running the games, not the one playing the games. That's right. The house always wins. And he got a feel for that early on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he was self-admittedly not a good gambler himself, not a great poker player, but he attached himself to everyone involved and learned the ins and outs. He learned that gambling had its ups and downs. A good hot streak could have a man living well for weeks, but a bad night could end a man completely. A well-run house, however, always wins in the end. And this is, uh, you know, what this would become his life's mission would be, you know, running a good house and you wouldn't have to worry about the ups and downs. It's always, it's always up. That's right. It's always slightly up when you run the house. You always make a profit pretty much. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. So around the age of 18, Benny took his talents to El Paso where he learned uh, where his talents were more well-suited. El Paso at the time was a smuggling hotbed uh, prohibition was in full effect at this time, and El Paso was just a quick trip across the Rio Grande River away from Mexico where booze could be loaded up and brought back on little boats. Um, however, of course, law enforcement was on to this, and there was constant shootouts between law enforcement and rum runners. Um, Benny became uh, quickly made a name for himself in El Paso where he spent time in jail for selling alcohol. He gained the trust of jailers, however, while in jail for for bootlegging and ended up actually getting some, he, he he befriended them to the point where they actually gave him some like extra responsibilities and like gave him some freedom within the jail, which he used to 
uh, organize a, a theft of a whole truckload of alcohol from the jail itself. So I'm guessing they've been storing some of this stolen booze, and he loaded, helped some guys load up a truck and uh, steal a whole truckload of booze from there. Oh, my God. That's awesome. And so after a year in El Paso, he ended up moving to Dallas, which had its own thriving underground bootlegging economy, and he was able to thrive even more there. Bootleggers in Dallas during this time averaged 36000 per year in profits, far more than the average doctor or lawyer. Dallas was pretty yeah, wild back imagine. in this time. That's crazy money. No doubt. It was pretty wild back in this time. Um, in, in Dallas, Benny established himself as a middleman in the liquor business, an importer-distributor, um, and he spent several more short stints in jail and found himself quite often in front of a judge for bootlegging and other offenses. On one occasion, he was even charged with assault after using the bumper off his own car to defend himself against multiple men following a traffic accident. <laughs> <laughs> I could see that, dude, because them, them old bumpers off them old Fords and shit, right. you know, they were just like metal rods. Yeah. They were just like metal fucking poles, basically, yeah. bolted and onto the front. every accident so that, that the happened, the whole thing. bumper would just come off, so it'd just be an Absolutely. natural thing to pick Absolutely. up if you were being uh, attacked by multiple men. Right. <laughs> just imagine slinging around that fucking cast iron bumper, bro. It seemed like his- Fuck somebody up. seemed like his son, I think it might have been Ted, that, that liked to build up his legend- um, but like basically if you, if you ask him, Benny like beat off like 11 guys with this bumper. Like it was just an unbelievable, every day just kept coming and he just kept dropping them. <laughs> <laughs> he looked like, looked like that video of that, uh, that TV evangelist knocking people down with his coat. Yeah. Have you ever seen that? No, but I can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> I just see him slinging a bumper in the middle of the road. Right. <laughs> knocking people into ditches. Yep. <laughs> So he would um, he would stand sp- several more short stints in jail before and found himself quite often begging these judges and whatnot, and eventually he would buy them off. Um, he got back to his passion for being around gambling when he became an understudy to Warren Diamond, a man known as the czar of t- Dallas gambling in the Roaring Twenties. This guy, Warren Diamond, mm. was Benny Binion's hero, essentially. He was what Benny wanted to become. Yeah. Um, right. And though gambling at this time was technically illegal in Dallas, the systematic revenues that it generated helped sustain the city government. And I think they even ended up basically establishing like an area of Dallas where you could legally gamble and prostitution was legal because it helped keep their city afloat when oh. they were about to go bankrupt. Yeah. And even if it wasn't technically legal, it was highly overlooked. Yeah. Because, yeah, because they were, you know, like I said, keeping it, it afloat financially. Yeah. It's, a, it's exactly right. Benny quickly established powerful connections in Dallas and used them to his advantage. If he wanted a rival shut down, he called Sheriff R.A. Smoot Schmid or Deputy Bill Becker or Bill Decker, um, his longtime friend and the lawman who rally, really ran Dallas for most of three decades, was uh, Benny's old friend. If Decker wanted some character sense. run out of town, he also you know, had a, his friendship in Benny who he could call upon, and mm-hmm. rather than bring uh, bribing individual cops, Binion and other gambles cheerfully paid regular fines. So it was kind of an understanding. Uh, the law would come in, they would quote-unquote bust uh, Benny's little casinos, and uh, right. and they would gladly come in and pay the fines. And it was kind of like, okay, you pay us some money, keep our, like I said, our city afloat, and uh, we'll look the other way. And it looks like we're doing something about it, but we're not. We just want the money. That's right. That's right. Everybody wins. Yep. Everybody wins. And it's just, you know, it's a little off the top for Benny. He don't care about yeah, that shit. Yeah, exactly. Price of doing that business. Is, yeah. 
That's right. And of course, he was he was taking far more than what he was reporting to the to the tax man. And we'll get into that later. That oh, comes no back kidding. to bite him later. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. Is that what rich guys do? Avoiding taxes will know. always find you somehow. <laughs> like somehow, years later, when he's in Vegas. They got nothing better to do. Those Dallas days come back to bite him. <laughs> You know it. Um, Two times each week, an officer from the vice squad visited all the gambling houses and did a head count of all customers. The next morning, the gambling house operators or their attorneys marched down to City Hall, pleaded guilty, and paid fines of $10 a head. So, wow. That was their little understanding. There you go. With the. uh, And they just kept doing that. It was like paying, yeah, it was like paying their dues to the local government so they could keep it, stay in operation. Yep. Uh, during World War II, there were 27 casinos in downtown Dallas and countless brothels in part of in a part of town with illegally sanctioned prostitution called Frogtown. That was the area I was talking about. In this environment, Benny Binion thrived, yeah. his business being the city's pleasure and vice versa. Um, at this time, he would end up cutting ties with his mentor, Warren Diamond, in 1926 and opened his own permanent craps game in a room of the Southland Hotel. Um, so, I mean, he learned wow. from the best, and now it was time for the young Padawan to surpass his teacher. I was about to say, man, we should look into Warren Diamond, see what we can find on him. Can you imagine his story? Right. If he was coming out in the 1920s, like this man built his empire in the Wild yeah, West. no doubt. He built it. Yep. I would, I would love to hear the shit that Warren Diamond had to do to get where he's at. Yeah. Because if we think Benny was cutthroat, no doubt. I bet Warren was a whole other animal. Even still, he was now too old or too wise to challenge his young protege. The Southland, uh, now owned by Benny, um, uh, owned the Galveston mob boss, Sam Masio, um, and became the headquarters mm-hmm. for Binion's gang, known as the Southland Hotel Group. That's a scary-sounding gang, the Southland Hotel Group. Oh, watch out, guys. <laughs> nowadays, the it's Southland just, Hotel Group's going to get you. Yeah, nowadays, it just sounds like a stock. <laughs> Got a few yeah. shares in that Southland <laughs> Hotel SHG. Group. SHG dropped five yeah, points right? over the weekend. In 1928, Benny expanded his business to include the numbers racket, also known as the policy business. So this was where you had like a little wheel you would spin and people would buy, buy like, buy a few dollars for three numbers. And if their numbers came up, they would win the pot. Um, And it was just a racket that Benny ran that it just generated profit every single time. I mean... It was a can't lose proposition for him. You know, you you you're taking like two thirds of the money, and then you're giving a little a third back to whoever wins the the, right. the wheel that day or whatever. So, um, Benny allowed other Good gamblers operation. to operate craps games for a twenty five percent cut of the action. But where policy racket was concerned, he enforced a monopoly. Even during the depression, the policies netted hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, and most of that mm-hmm. he was not reporting in taxes. Um, oh, Lord, no. Since runners picked up and delivered sacks of cash twice daily, employee theft was a big problem. And Benny dealt with issues like this with no mercy. He once... Mm, he won- You had to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess. He once poked a pencil through to. the eye of a runner who held out on him. And the bullet-riddled bodies mm. of thieves were found from time to time beside railroad tracks or in fields, but the law didn't bother to investigate. These were people mm. um, who were on the underbelly of society, and that's kind of police looked at it. It's right. like that's that's what happens. Well, and also uh, you got to look at from Benny's point of view. What's he going to do? Call the police and tell them that all this money he's not supposed to be making yeah, right. uh, is getting stolen. Yeah, I mean you can't do that either. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. Like at this point, his his hands are kind of tied. Like once you get to this point of it, you kind of have to do what you have to do. Yeah. I think. Well, let's get into Benny's first known murder, and he was actually convicted of this, okay. so we can definitely say that with uh, 
with certainty. So in 1931... Yeah, I don't doubt it. In 1931, Frank Bolding, a local rum runner that Benny suspected had stolen from him, entered Benny's backyard where they both sat on crates. Bolding supposedly charged Binion with a knife at one point, when, and Binion responded by tipping back in his crate, falling backwards, only to peer over the crate with a gun in hand, firing several shots and hitting Frank in the neck. Binion uh, was Damn. found guilt, guilty of murder. However, he only got two years probation since his victim was also a criminal criminal with a knife on him, supposedly, and a bad reputation. Thus, the judge considered the possibility of self-defense. Benny didn't spend a single... I was about to say... Go ahead. I was going to say, Benny was known to frame people as well, though. He he could whack people and then make it look like... That was his go-to explanation was self-defense. This was self-defense. Yeah. That was kind of his. Uh, that was kind of his deal. Look, if if the guy stole from Benny, why would he come back to his yard on his own accord? Why would he go back and see Benny? Right. Benny obviously called him there and was waiting for him on the crate. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then no he probably shot the guy, no and then he laid a knife beside his body or in his yeah, hand. Yeah, and I and I, mean, I believe that uh, Frank Bolding was black as well. And at this time, the, the law did not care if you were black and you were murdered. They didn't. They, there was not going to be justice brought for you. Right. Right. Yeah, I think Benny. Yeah, I think Benny orchestrated this whole thing. I don't think Frank ever wanted to go back and see Benny. That doesn't make any sense to me. Why wouldn't you just take the money and run if you already? Why would you go back and be like, oh, let's go, let's go have a cup of coffee and maybe a beer with old Benny? Yeah, here and everybody that knew Benny knew that he always had a gun on him. He always had his pistol. He always had his forty-five caliber pistol yeah. on him. It's like you you're not going to bring a knife to a gunfight. With that much money, you better, you better have a pistol on you, right? <clears throat> So, Binion, as we mentioned, got two years probation and never saw a day in jail over the incident. Instead, the scuffle resulted in Benny Binion being given a nickname, the Cowboy. Wow. (laughs) Different times, bro. Different times. (laughs) Instead of uh, blocking you up for murder, we're going to just give you a nickname and let you walk the streets. (laughs) Let you become a legend. Get on out there, Benny boy. So, in 1933, Warren Diamond actually uh, ended up killing himself, and it was due to, I think he had severe colon cancer, and it was painful, and there was nothing the doctors could do about it, and he basically went home after being told the news there was nothing they could do in severe pain, walked upstairs in his home and shot himself just to end it. Um, At this point, Benny had no competition. He became the king of racketeers in Dallas. Um, And around the same time, he would also meet the love of his life, who he would be married to until the end, 16-year-old Teddy Jane. Now, Benny was in his 20s now at this point, or was he was even older than that? Was he, in his, he was 28. 28, okay. And yeah. um, began dating a 16-year-old named Teddy Jane. She was the daughter of a local pharmacy owner that uh, had asked Benny for help with an issue, you know, as uh, local right. business owners do. Probably with crime protection bosses, or something like taking that. Taking somebody out yeah. or something, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. Um, the, the mom of Teddy Jane had warned her that if she married Benny Binion that she would spend her life waiting up late nights for him to be getting home from a smoke-filled, you know, bar room poker game. And that was pretty much right. what she accepted, and that's what happened. Um, how, that being said, Benny Binion was known to be a great uh, family man when he was home, much like a lot of crime yeah, bosses so that was Pablo Escobar. learn about. Yeah, so I'm saying. It's, doesn't that seem like a common theme? <laughs> Their kids love them. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> you, you, listen, you got to imagine when you're living that kind of a high-stakes life and everything is so serious and everything's life or death or big money, it's like you got to imagine that release has got to be nice just to go home and wrestle with your kids or just be a father or be a husband and just 
you know, sit down and relax. That they gotta have that release, or these men, I think, would go insane. Yeah, you know, and that they also like to think of themselves as legit businessmen, which, in a way, they did create businesses from scratch. Yeah, um, <clears throat> which is pretty impressive. So they they feel like they should live a normal life. Like this type of income is normal to them. Yeah. So being a family, it's like people are like, how can you how can you run this? How could you be this mob boss and this cutthroat person and be a family man? Well, that's how they grew up, and they always wanted a family. So. Where's the misinterpretation here? Yeah. It's just, it was normal life for these guys like this. Yeah, I mean, even the most heinous criminals we've we've covered over the course of this podcast, they just about every single one of them had somebody that they, they loved and wouldn't harm, whether it was their mother yep. or their sister or whatever, you know. Yep. So there, the there's separations that, that like can, that. Yeah. can happen within a person. No doubt. Um, so on October 2nd, 1933, Teddy Jane hopped in a car with Benny and drove 110 miles north of Dallas to Ardmore, Oklahoma, where a 16-year-old girl could marry a 28-year-old man with no waiting and few ask, few questions asked. And so not longer after they, oh they met, they were married. And within four months, Teddy Jane was pregnant with their first child, a daughter named Barbara. We'll talk a little bit about her in part two. Um, Barbara, as a baby though, stug- struggled with f- frequent fits of whooping cough, which resulted in many sleepless nights of and endless bouts of coughing and crying. And they were living in an apartment at this time. And so when the neighbors in the, na- in the apartment above them complained to the landlord, Benny told the landlord that he would take care of himself. And, uh, pretty interesting mm-hmm. how he decided to do so. When the neighbors returned from home <laughs> that night, Benny was waiting in his apartment to hear the footsteps above him. When he heard them walk into the apartment, he fired his pistol through the ceiling and into the neighbor's apartment. They ran from Holy one room into the from the main room into the bedroom. He followed their footsteps and continued firing through the roof into their apartment. Holy shit! <laughs> and he's nuts, bro. He could have killed them. Oh, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. And it would have been all too easy he's... to find out what happened. I mean. <laughs> There's some holes just in your roof. Just because they're walking uh, around in their apartment? Like, right. oh my God. You've just had a dispute with these people earlier today. Yeah. Um, oh, dude, he was he was crazy. Yeah, but like we mentioned, he he's got crazy. everybody bought off. The DA, the, the sheriff, everybody's bought off. So, I mean, he would have, if he did get jail time, it would have been a, a kind of a slap on the wrist for what he would have, you know, what it should have been, I think. Oh, yeah, 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 you're right. He did not right. uh, hit them with any of the bullets, and the next morning, they checked out for good. They didn't return. <laughs> So the problem no was kidding. taken care of. <laughs> Didn't like the holes in the floor, right. huh? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, Benny and Teddy Shit. would go on to have five children together over the coming years, two sons, Jack and Ted, and three daughters, Barbara, Brenda, and Becky. And as we mentioned, more on the kids in part two. In 1936, Benny Binion was facing encroachment on his territory by a rival racketeer named Ben Friedman. Frieden. In response, one day in September that year, Benny and one of his henchmen approached on foot as Frieden sat unaware in a parked car in a neighborhood under Binion's control. So this guy was not only doing the same thing, he was running those um, policy games, um, Mm -hmm. which are very uh, lucrative, and he even had the balls to do it on Binion's turf. And so when Binion saw him sitting in a car in his turf... He approached with one of his henchmen, and he and the henchmen opened fire on Frieden and ended his life before he even knew what was happening. Benyon then pulled a second pistol wow. out of his pocket, gave a flesh wound to himself by firing a, a bullet into like the skin under his like armpit, I think, and then threw yeah. the extra weapon inside Frieden's vehicle. When the police arrived, Binion explained that it had been a simple matter of self-defense on his part, 
the local district attorney who was Binion's buddy uh, believed his explanation and he walked out he walked out of the courtroom facing no charges. So mm, different times, bro. Yeah. Different times. There were also wow. many other murders that Benny never talked about. A chief enforcer for Benny in Dallas was Lewis Green, a hitman whose signature was burying his victims alive. This guy worked for Benny, and Benny Damn. on several occasions told him, you know, this guy did this, he stole from us or whatever. And yeah. Benny told him to shoot the guy with a shotgun in the stomach and dump him in a hole that was pre-dug and bury him alive. A practice that gave potential mm. competitors pause before deciding to enter the gambling racket against him. I bet. Brutal. Dude. Because, like, just just being shot, like, if, if the threat is, like, to be sniped, I think most... I think a lot of these guys are like, eh, it's worth the risk. If they hit me, I won't even know what happened. I'll be gone before I, right. you know what I'm saying? I'll be gone before it happens. But a threat of being buried alive, yeah. that's terrifying. Yeah. That's, mm, you're right. That does give pause because it's like, this will be a horrible agony that I will experience before I die. Yeah, not only being buried this alive, but supposedly being shot in the stomach is one of the most painful <sighs> things you can experience. I feel like being shot would be better. Than just being buried alive well, straight both, up. Man. I'd be like, both, man. Both is pretty bad. At least now I have a chance to bleed out, bro. I'd be like forcing blood to my stomach or something. Just bleed it out. It takes. Already. That's the problem is like, being know? shot in oh. the stomach. It takes a while to die. It takes a while. Yeah, yeah you're it, right. I mean, a couple movies mm. come to actually a couple Tarantino movies come to mind. Uh, Pulp Fiction, when uh, Zed is shot in the stomach and just lying there in agony mm-hmm. for a while, and then also yeah. uh, in uh, Reservoir Dogs. Dude shot in the Raise stomach and okay, yep. bleeding out in the back of the car. You're going to be okay. <laughs> yeah, those movies can be a little too real sometimes. Yeah. But that's, that would be the perfect person to do this movie, though. Right. Wouldn't it? Absolutely. <sighs> Come on, Tarantino. Get on this. Yeah. So in the early 40s, through the war years, uh, those were the best times in Dallas for Benny Binion, believe it or not, the war years. He had virtually no competitors at this time, owned most of the gambling industry in Dallas, and had all levels of the law in his back pocket. Quote, it takes a good man to for you to bribe them. So basically he's saying like they're they're trying to do the right thing and they're they're putting pressure on you and that's why you end up having to bribe them. Otherwise they would if they're just incompetent, you don't even have to bribe them. Right, right. Um there was one man, however, that became a threat to Binion's throne during this time, and this part of the story was my favorite part of uh <laughs> yes. Benny Binion's oh, past. Herbert. Uh was learning about this guy, <laughs> Herbert Noble who actually gained the nickname The Cat and also The Clay Pigeon. Um, Oh, yeah, those are good nicknames. For he was thought to have nine lives and actually surpassed that. Um, Even a cat has less less lives than Noble did. He survived 11 (laughs) attempts on his life over the coming years. That's insane. Yeah. eleven. This dude was (laughs) just like scarred up, had been shot multiple times over the years. Yeah. Oh, man. Crazy. Um, you could do a whole movie probably just on the attempts of tri- just on this rivalry, no doubt. just on Binion versus Herbert Noble. No doubt. You could probably do a whole movie just on that. Yeah. Um, so many, or maybe even all of them, were allegedly ordered by Benny Binion. Noble had become the proprietor of one of the city's most profitable back- profitable back rooms, a joint called the Airmen's Club, known for its honest games and reputation as a place where the occasional winner could actually get paid. The Airmen's Club did well, too well. The club's success made a oh. noticeable dent in Benny's clubs. For a while, Benny was fine with a 25% share of Noble's take. So he was still, basically, this guy was still having to go to Benny and give a cut of his business because that's how powerful Benny was. Right. But that became not right. enough when his club got so successful that Benny's 25% was not making up for the amount of loss that he had in his businesses due to Noble's success. 
So now he mm-hmm. went to Noble and demanded a greater share of 40% of his business's earnings. Mm. And that's just like an Damn, offer 40%? that you can't accept, you know? It's like it's going to bankrupt the guy. Seriously, 40%? That's almost half. Yeah. I mean, whoo. But, I mean, Benny was there first. Might have to, he might have had to cut into right? that amount that he wasn't reporting to the IRS, <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. Can't have that. Exactly. Benny's not actually losing money here. Let's get real. All right. So Noble refused to pay the percentage hike. And that's, of course, when the trouble started. He must have known that that meant war, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, the intimidation began slowly. First, the Dallas Police Department mysteriously showed up one afternoon and tried to shut down the club um, while ignoring every other gamble, gambling joint in town. So <laughs> they just walked right past Benny him. Benny sicked the police on him first. There you go. Get him, Benny. Um, hey, you tried to do the right thing here. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> um, now, when that scare tactic didn't work, Noble eventually opened up back again. And one night in 1946, he found himself trying to outrace a black Cadillac with sawed-off shotguns pointing Uh-oh. out the windows. He was shot in the Can't back. Do it, bro. Um, but staggered to a farmhouse and survived. Son of a bitch. <laughs> Lucky. <laughs> and so Noble would survive his first uh, assassination attempt, and we'll get much more of those soon. But meanwhile, as World War II came to an end in 1946, a new district attorney was elected in Dallas, and an anti-corrupt on an anti-corruption pledge that was his uh campaign basically him the new sheriff got a a new sheriff got elected because the sheriff that was in place didn't even bother to campaign he thought he had it in the bag and he was defeated in that same election and there was a new faction in dallas that promised to put an end to corruption and benny binion didn't have his buddies anymore and in fact he had enemies that were running the city and so his time was basically Mm -hmm. up herbert noble had pissed off Benny even more by helping the new sheriff get elected and actually uh, donated to his campaign. Brilliant move well, on course. Herbert Noble's I mean, part. Because I was about to say brilliant because Herbert Noble's thinking, well, any enemy of my enemy is a friend of mine. Right. So he's like, let me, now my chance. Yep. How the turntables <laughs> yes. have to... Oh. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so, of course, the feud <clears throat> with Benny would be far from over. Even though Benny would soon leave Texas, it would continue. So ever the expert yeah. gambler, the cowboy, Benny Binion, knew when to fold. He left Dallas That's for right. Vegas, Las Vegas in 1946 with two suitcases loaded with cash. It was said to, that he had as much as $2 million in his trunk of his car on his oh drive in his Cadillac to Las Vegas. Um, the one difference, though, a big one, was that he would now be in the one place in America where on paper he'd be a respectable businessman because Las Vegas at this time right. was the only place in the country that gambling was legally sanctioned by the state. And uh, that would create this power vacuum for all these basically powerful mob-connected people to flood into Las Vegas trying to start their own thing or trying to create a racket where they could then feed money back to their crime organizations in other cities. Right. At this time, there were only two two casinos in Las Vegas, the El Rancho and the Frontier, but they was about to blossom into the gambling capital of the world. In the 40s, Las Vegas was ripe for a mob presence, Mob members from other cities flooded uh, flooded in. It was like this great migration of criminals to this place. Um, Bugsy Siegel was one of the most notable arrivals. Um, he was one of the founders of Murder, Inc. We've talked about him a little bit before. He'd been at yeah. the helm of the Flamingo Casino in Las Vegas for only six months when in June of 1947, he was killed in a hail of gunfire in his girlfriend's Beverly Hills, California home. And historians believe that actually stemmed from he uh, was stealing money from the casino's operations, and his bosses found out about it and had him whacked. 
So he didn't he didn't mm. stick around Vegas that much. He's still uh, believed to be one of the founding fathers of. I bet there Las were Vegas a lot gambling. of uh, there were a lot there were a lot of made men that probably got whacked during this time because, like you said, the the main establishments the the godfathers of these organizations weren't necessarily in Vegas. Yeah. They were sending representatives, and these representatives were hitting it big yeah. because it was such a. A hotbed for gambling, and so when these guys set it up businesses, they couldn't help but scrape a little off. Yeah, the top. and how how can like, you keep track of that without money. having multiple men there to watch over each other? Exactly. You know? And then eventually, this shit started coming out because you know those mob bosses from New York and Chicago. other places. Eventually, Chicago eventually flew in and was like, "Let's see what's going on mm-hmm. here," you know, in Vegas. And they're like, "Holy shit, this is not the cut I'm getting." Right. And I think a lot, a lot of men met their demise, like old Siegel did. A lot of bodies buried out in the desert around Vegas. Yes, there is. Yes, there is. Um, a lot of them were <laughs> at uh, Binion's direction. <laughs> <laughs> so Benny Binion set up shop in his new home in Las Vegas and warmed up to it quickly. He said, quote, when I realized how good it could be up here, I said, let him have Texas. <laughs> So <laughs> his family had a little harder time adjusting. His wife and his kids they weren't weren't loving it right away in Las Vegas. Um, That's understandable. He, he initially opened up a club on Fremont Street in partnership with J.K. Housels, um, a buddy of mm-hmm. his, but soon split with him, and they remained lifelong friends. The split was over B- Binion's desire to increase the limit on the size of the bets that the house would accept, and that would become his thing. That would, would that was what set the Binion's horseshoe yeah. apart. Um, and we'll get more into that. That's right. And the, the, you know, the beauty the that was bets. the early days, the Binion's horseshoe. It was a, it was a world of its own. It was different than every other place in Vegas. That's right. Um, during this time, though, Benny was fighting to get his gambling license. They didn't want to give it to him because of his past in Texas. They were aware this guy had been, you know, convicted of murder. Had and also there was some suspect. Uh, some as far as his income, you know, they're a little bit right. Like how much? Did but you they gave him, report? but they still gave him a liquor and a and a food license. So right, like he could still serve food and alcohol. Yeah. So you know, he was able to kind of combine the two and get someone else to be over the gambling part while he still overran it. So that wasn't that big of a setback for Benny. Right. He wanted to get his gambling license so he could get a bigger piece of that glitter gulch pie, which is what they called downtown Las Vegas at the yeah. time, the Strip of Casinos. He bought a large house. Yeah, he was getting it anyway, though. Yeah. <laughs> he bought a large house on Bonanza Road for his family at this time, a 4,500-square-foot fortress on six acres in what now is a pretty sketchy part of town. It actually was kind of sketchy even back then, but he didn't care because he turned it, in, like I said, into a fortress, high walls. But there's some beautiful houses out that way, though, some very unique properties. Yeah, a lot of custom and, stuff. And Yeah, and also land-wise, there's some very sought-after properties out there in Vegas. Yeah. Like, to get... To get six acres in town, like holy shit, what would that be worth now? Like, well, yeah, now a it'd be worth a ton. But back then, it was like there was the little strip of casinos, and then it was just desert everywhere. Oh, that's true. That's so, true. That's true. So every every property was big like that. I think back then, nowadays, like, an acre is in it, Vegas is huge. Have you? Is his house still there? Have you seen it? it? As far as like into the twenty, I, I, it could be. I'm not a hundred percent sure. Okay. But I, I've seen as as late as like 2015, people were taking video of it and stuff, and it just looked like this yeah. just run down, dilapidated structure. It was like half brick and half wood. Okay. Um, on a dirt okay. lot, and all of was... the veg- vegetation was gone and dead, and it was just rotting away, basically. Oh wow! I can't can't believe nobody wanted it. Right. I think somebody would scoop it up. Yeah. Yeah, make it into like a tourist attraction. Let people tour it yeah, and stuff. Something. This is Benny Binion's house, you I know. Mean, 
Yeah, why not? Maybe his name, like we mentioned, isn't big enough for that. Like you really kind of have to be like a Vegas it's really historian not, or really into poker to care. Yeah, I was about to say because I'd never heard of him. Yeah, uh, before Vegas. So, yeah, maybe it's not. Wouldn't be a big enough of a draw. Yeah. You know what's rare? Experiencing full plates of food and still having a full wallet. But with America's best value meal kit, that is possible. That's right. I'm talking about every plate. With every plate, you'll get meals you'll enjoy and your bank account will love, delivered right to your door. Think of it this way. One meal is the same price as one cup of coffee. And every plate is up to 58% cheaper than any other major meal kit out there. You can't beat it. Every plate dinners are the cheaper alternative to takeout or delivery. Recipes come together in about 30 minutes, definitely faster than a trip to the grocery store. And starting a meal from scratch... Don't even get me started on that. Listen, I'm no chef, but I was able to whip up these gooey stuffed pork burgers with barbecue onion and crispy potato wedges in about 40 minutes. And you best believe they didn't last nowhere near that long on my table. Everyone was happy and everyone's plate was clean. And one of the best things about this dinner was we spent less time deciding on what to cook and how to cook it and more time just being together. Every plate's easy-to-follow recipes and pre-portioned ingredients take the stress out of dinner time. Every plate does the meal planning, the shopping, and prepping for you, taking the time-consuming guesswork out of cooking. Never buy more ingredients than you need, because every plate's recipes come with everything already pre-measured. Every plate now offsets 100% of their carbon emissions. So what have you got to lose? You know you're still sitting there wondering what you're going to have for dinner tonight. Why not get three weeks of Every Plate meals for only $2.99 per meal? You can do that by going to everyplate.com and entering code CREEPER3. That's C-R-E-E-P-E-R, the number three. Again, that's everyplate.com, code word CREEPER3. There's nothing like that Friday feeling. Clocking out of work on Friday evening, knowing you're just going to get to do whatever you want, Right? Sit out on the front porch, take it all in, maybe pour you a glass of wine, right? Well, now you don't have to wait for that feeling to kick in once a week because with award-winning wine from First Leaf, any day can feel like Friday. First Leaf is a wine club that sends personalized selections of wine from top vineyards all around the world directly to you because the only thing better than one fantastic bottle of wine is a case of award-winning wine that shows up at your doorstep. Every bottle is hand-picked by experts with your exact preferences and palate in mind for a unique combination of wine that you're guaranteed to love. Unlike other wine clubs, First Leaf uses an algorithm and your feedback to curate future wine recommendations. You log onto their website, you make some selections of wines you like, wines you don't like, taste preferences, foods that you like, things like that. They send you your first box, and from there, you rate those wines, you send them back, and your palate just continues to become more and more clear to First Leaf, and they can send you wines that better suit you. Subscriptions are flexible, and shipments arrive on your schedule with practically zero effort. First Leaf is a much more affordable way to enjoy wine from top winemakers and vineyards. You'll always get award-winning wine for an unbeatable low price. Maybe you consider yourself a wine novice. I do. But First Leaf held my hand and walked me through this whole process. 
so I can find wine that I like without going to a grocery store and taking a gamble based on a label. So what are you waiting for? Get that Friday feeling like I do any day with First Leaf. Join today and you'll get six bottles of wine for $29.95 and free shipping. Just go to tryfirstleaf.com creeper. That's six bottles of wine for $29.95 and free shipping at tryfirstleaf.com creeper. So even with Benny's relocation to Las Vegas, he remained a major presence in the Dallas and Fort Worth underworld. Every time a body was discovered in a shallow grave of quicklime near Lake Worth or at the bottom of a vat of coke <laughs> acid at a steel mill in East Texas, someone was sure to bring up Benny Binion's name. He, of course, <laughs> always said that he had no part in any of the killings. Of course. Of course yeah, not. You know, Come on. Got to keep that deniability. My hands are clean, partner. Yep. I'm all the way over here in Las Vegas. Yeah, how could I have done yep. it? That's East Texas. I'm on the west yeah, side. I got I'm my own problems here. out here. That's right. It's hot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's very hot out here. My cowboy <laughs> boots are dripping sweat. <laughs> but he was used to El Paso and Fort Worth, man. That's He's true. used to humidity. The desert was no stranger to him. No, no, he was good with it. The assassination attempts on Herbert Noble continued in Dallas. Benny allegedly posted a reward of $10,000 for Noble's life, then bumped it to 25000 <laughs> and finally to 50000 He's trying to get that some bitch. He is. Um, <laughs> Noble is a slippery bastard. He remained bitter. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> it sounds like it. And He's that still was chasing him. Also, Noble also did the same. He sent someone out to Vegas to try and get him, and that didn't work out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, if Noble ain't going to let it go, then I guess Benny ain't going to let it go either. I think it's just a spite thing now. It's just a pride. It's like, who's going to get who? And also, I think Noble right? was working with law enforcement in Dallas to try and get... Benny any way they could, whether it was tax fraud or whatever. So Benny needed that guy out of the yeah. picture if he wanted to move on. Mm. In 1948, right. Herbert Noble's car was riddled with bullets. In 1949, he found dynamite wired to the starter of his car and later got shot on a high-speed <laughs> chase. And on the morning of November 29th, 1949, terrible. Herbert, no Herbert Noble's wife, Mildred, walked out of the family home and stepped into the car, his car, that he normally normally mm. drove. The only reason he didn't drive it that morning was he had some, he was driving some business associates to a bank, and so he needed the extra yeah. room that his wife's car provided. And unfortunately, that was the bad day to do that because assassins had loaded his car with nitro nitro gelatin compound, which basically blew the car to smithereens, including Mildred. Mm. Um, I've seen pictures; it's not pretty of the aftermath of this car. Like it's shredded. To pieces That's, and there's basically um you could tell a body with a sheet laying it over over it the neighbor and friend of mildred had walked see, over after hearing the explosion and covered what was left of mildred with a sheet this right here this right here is the real price of this type of business this is why right, right here is what has always deterred me from doing any type of underworld type shit and it's not what would happen to me it's what could happen to your family your loved ones people around you people you're connected with you know what i'm saying yep. like this 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 is heartbreaking. And it's right usually here. kind no. of an unwritten rule uh, when it comes to, you know, the crime life, like the crime bosses and stuff. It's usually like the family's generally untouchable. You don't mess with the man's wife. And so you, you can take his life, like you mentioned, but they generally yeah. don't target the wives. And they didn't intend to kill his wife on this occasion. See, they put it in his car. Right. Just so happened right. that when you do those sort of things, this kind of stuff can happen. Well, I think that was the case back then, Lauren, but I feel like now... It's cutthroat, man. It ain't. They don't give a shit who they have to kill to get your attention. 
you know, I don't think I don't think there's a whole lot of honor among thieves anymore. Yeah, well, when you're uh, talking as as like, that, uh, uh, like when that as far as that shit goes. Yeah, <clears throat> like cartels and what cartel. Yeah, they don't care. Yeah, no, they don't care. Yeah, you're right. Um, back then, there was it also even in war there was kind of like a more. Um, there, it was different. There was more honor. Yeah, there was more honor. Yeah, there's more of an honor system. Fight man to man with even the sword. Among thieves. That's right. That's right. It was now we'll just bomb you with world. a drone. Right. Even if your family's <laughs> exactly. in the house, if you're quote unquote terrorists, we'll just bomb everybody. Yeah, they don't give a fuck. Yeah. Once again, politicians suck. Yeah. So um, Herbert Nolan or Noble, obviously distraught over his wife being you know killed by his enemies. Um, he was he right. made it his life's mission to get back at who he believed had done it, which was Benny Binion in his mind. And then he was a pilot. And in 1951, right. <laughs> a police officer caught uh, Herbert Noble rigging an airplane with two large bombs, one high explosive and one incendiary. And he had a map with Benny Binion's home on Bonanza Road in Las Vegas, clearly marked. So his plan was to fly Damn. over in his plane. Make a trip to Vegas, fly over in a plane, and drop these bombs on his home. Killing he was he had no qualms about killing Benny's entire family, including his dog, his kids, everybody. At this point, oh shit! I, I doubt. I bet not. I mean, after he just killed his wife, I mean, he may have even been thinking about flying that plane directly into his damn home. Right. You don't. You don't ever know. I mean, this is this is a man with nothing left to lose now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Herbert Noble, Noble would go on to escape or to uh, to survive eleven known attempts to kill him involving bombs, automatic rifle, machine gun fire, and before a bomb was finally planted on his front in the front of his home in his mailbox, which got him in 1951, and he died in the same wow. fashion that his wife did um, to an explosive in his front yard. Goddamn mailbox! Imagine being the neighbors. This guy, you're just like, dude. Every other week, you're hearing the guy get shot at in his front yard or. Bombs are going off. His or, wife was blown up. I'd be like, I'm out of here, man. I'm, <laughs> this guy's, this neighbor's just too much. Well, I'm sure he had a, I'm sure he had a pretty big property as well. Yeah. I mean, you got to remember, this guy's still living in Texas, yeah. right? So he's, he's got plenty of room out there, I'm sure. Yeah. They did have the one neighbor so that walked over to see his, his wife, Mildred, though. She was close enough to have heard mm. the bomb and walk over. Oof. So. That's, that's a horrible sight. So that same year that Herbert Noble was finally killed after the 11 attempts, um, in 1951, Benny Binion would acquire the El Dorado Casino on Fremont Street and rename it the legendary Binion's Horseshoe. When the Horseshoe Club go. opened, Benny Binion was licensed only for bars and restaurants, but he was, uh, he was not the holder of the license, but even though the Horseshoe Club was technically not Benny's, everyone knew who was running the show. Even in pictures oh, and yeah. advertising, the grand open, opening, Benny was described as the owner and bar and restaurant at the Horseshoe Club. And this place, we'll get into what made it so special, the Binion's Horseshoe. <laughs> so many things. Yeah, so... But mainly gambling. <laughs> yeah, man, it, was a, it was the Gambler's Casino. Um, it was renowned... Yeah, they cut out all the extra shit. Yeah. The Horseshoe was renowned for their excellent dinner, dinner specials, like a $2 steak. And Binion also mm-hmm. extended the comp program to all players, not just high rollers. So if you were there playing poker, you got taken care of. You were available. You were allowed to go eat um, whenever you wanted. Everything was available to you. He set the craps. The biggest thing was the limits. He, there was no limits at this place. So you could walk in with a million dollars and place it. The one rule was that your first bet was your limit. So if you wanted a high limit, you wanted a million dollar limit, that had to be your first bet. 
and no other casinos were taking those kind of bets. But he always he always had the mentality the house will win in the end. Even if they hit that first bet and they win a million bucks, they're going to put it back most more more often right. than not. Um. Yep, you're right. He set the craps limit at $500, 10 times the maximum at other casinos. Um, the horseshoe throughout Benny's time running the show did things differently. It was a gambler's casino through and through, a smoky, Western-themed home to degenerates. There was no entertainment. This is my favorite quote from him. He said, I don't want my money. <laughs> I don't want my money blowing out the end of some guy's trumpet. <laughs> Which <laughs> nowadays is what Vegas is built upon. You know, it's all about the residencies. I'll, you know, we pay Britney Spears for a 10-year contract to do shows every night and Benny was not about that. Right. He wanted gamblers in there, and that's what it was about. Right, right. Well, he wasn't a very cultured person either. You have to understand that. This is a man who grew up only knowing gambling. Right. He knew nothing about music. He knew nothing about culture. He knew nothing about art. This is just a man who gambled and, if you're and a, did horse trading. If you're a career poker player, that's all you want to do. That's all you care about. This is where you want to be, though. You know, Why would you care about yeah, the shows? Yeah. And why? You just need you need sustenance. You need to go in there and get some some chili, some cheap chili and, and a steak, and then and hit the tables, and that's all. Go. And The food's on the house as long as you're gambling. You know that chili was good as hell too, because it's one of Benny's old recipes. And look how it fat was a Benny jail was. jail recipe. You it know had that, to be good. Oh, bo, you know that shit. That chili was good, probably greasy as hell. Right. For many years, there were no rooms for guests at the Horseshoe, and when Steve Wynn later came in and opened up his Golden Nugget Casino across the street, he told uh, Benny about his plans to build a two thousand room hotel. And Benny wrapped around his he wrapped his arm around Steve Wynn's shoulder and said, "Great, they can sleep in your place and gamble in mine." Another great quote. Ah, got him. <laughs> got him. Oh, Benny knew just what to say, man. Right. He just he just had that old timer charisma, bro. That old cowboy charisma. Yep. Sure did. <clears throat> so the slogan for the horseshoe was always action. And his motto also when it comes to running business was the way to get rich was to treat little people like big people. And that's the way it was I agree at, with the, that. at the horseshoe. I agree with that 100%, man. Yep. I really do. I, I hate the way money changes people, and I hate the way uh, other people having money changes the way people treat them. I hate that shit. Right. I hate it. I understand it, and I understand the reasoning. But a person is a person. Like Especially if you run a business or a store or you're doing any type of entertainment. I feel like anybody that is a customer... Um, or a fan of yours or whatever, should be, all be treated equal. Absolutely. It really should, and I, I think that's a key. That is key to Benny's success right there. Yeah. Everyone felt like a high roller in Benny's casino. Yep. Yeah, the, the Binion's horseshoe catered to hard-eyed, no-nonsense gamblers. No limits, no entertainment, no gurgling fountains or fancy decor. The dealers wore <laughs> jeans. So the specialty of the house was gener generous drinks and Benny's greasy chili that we briefly mentioned, mm -hmm. made from an old Dallas jailhouse recipe. Mm. Give me some shredded cheese and some sour cream. Some onions. Go. Mm. Well, I'm hoping onions already. A little is onion. <laughs> it better be. You know, Stone Cold. <laughs> With a little onion. A little onion. Um, Benny saw that cheaters and thieves would be escorted to the back alley where their arms and legs may be broken by security guards. Frank. Yeah, they may be, or maybe not, but probably. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Frank Sutton, a one-time detective sergeant with the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department, said, quote, The Horseshoe was the only casino in town that didn't believe in calling the police. They took care of trouble their own way. And the yeah, police knew not to even go there. If they got calls, they they like basically would ask, were there witnesses in the street to something that happened? Otherwise, if it happened at the at the horseshoe, you know, it's out of our hands, basically. 
Mm. Wow. And that and a lot of other casinos adopted that later on. Yeah, I think they did it more discreetly. The the Binions yeah. were a little bit more uh, out in the open about it. It's like, hey, don't don't cheat I here; agree. you'll get fucked up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like that was another one of their slogans. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> lesser known, but uh, yeah. a slogan nonetheless. Right. <laughs> um, and so the 1950s in Las Vegas brought an onslaught of more mob connected casinos on the Strip: the Sands, the Dunes, Riviera, Tropicana, and the Stardust. The Stardust, one of the featured casinos in Casino, the movie with Robert De Niro and Pesci. Yeah, that was they. they right. Their run was Good more movie. in the 70s, a little bit, right. quite a bit later. Right. Like, still gives you a feel Great for the movie. time, you know, of how it was. Yeah, it does. It does. Um, Benny helped to create a good old boys network in Las Vegas. Business owners, lawyers, cops, prosecutors, judges, and politicians all helping each other out with either money or breaks in the courtroom. Um, Vegas, mm-hmm. in this way, was Benny's kind of town. Business-like and practical. The way Dallas had been in the 30s, only more direct and less hypocritical. The business of Vegas was gambling, which meant that everyone could be more out front. The network was a living thing, as solid as gold. So, yeah, I mean, the biggest thing was that it was legally sanctioned by the state. So, you know, he was able to outwardly just run his business in gambling. Yeah. That's the way he liked it. Advertise and everything else. No big deal. The city was his oyster, basically. And he did give back a lot over the years, as you mentioned. That's that's part of what remained, um, why he remained such a legend in Las Vegas and looked in a positive light as opposed to, you know, some of the stuff we've already gone over, some of the blood shed that's that right. uh, got him to know, this point right and you know he he played a big hand and i'm sure helping other businesses and casino owners around him you know because like we talked about before it's a good business plan to have other successful businesses around you especially if they're not direct competition oh, yeah. they kind of have a different vibe going on they have a different crowd it's nice to have that around you that just draws a bigger crowd and naturally you're going to get more foot traffic oh yeah the strip and downtown it's not like area. people go to exclusively to one casino and they just stay there their entire time here they go from that's casino right. to casino that's right that's right i mean it's boring if you just go to one casino i mean you really missed out you need to you really need to spread your time around in vegas yeah yeah and of course we, I, I forgot to we forgot to mention that one of the the staples at the horseshoe casino was the million dollars in a in a glass case that you could stand by and take pictures with uh, many famous people over the years have, have apparently even um good old uh, charles manson and his followers took a picture in front of that that's nowhere to be found online but supposedly he, t- he took a picture in front of the million dollar case i have a picture actually mm. of me with my my cousin's 21st birthday we we spent at the horseshoe of course so we got a picture yeah. with the million dollars very nice very nice yep. i really like to find that manson one though i know right i would yeah. really like to find that man so uh meanwhile things are going fantastic in las vegas for for benny binion um, however, right. back in Dallas, the new leader still had a hard-on for old Benny and kept trying to extradite him for murder and or tax evasion. They were going around interviewing people on his prior, uh, you know, the, the killings that he had gotten away with, trying to get, get enough evidence. Of course, there never was enough because people didn't want to talk uh, out of fear of right. getting hurt or, you know, also he, he knew how to kill and get away with it. So it was tough to get enough to why take could- him to court on it. Why couldn't they let just old? Why couldn't they let Benny be, man? And he left them alone. I don't. I don't get why they still want to fuck with him. You know, is is it just a spite thing now? Maybe he maybe he burnt more bridges than we than we really know. Yeah, in Texas. Yeah, that's probably what. Actually well, I think he was still there. wreaking havoc there too. I mean, it's not like he had, his footprint was completely gone. I mean, he was still 
he was still, as we know, carrying out hits. His henchmen were killing people for him over there, and like all the okay. all the assassination attempts on Herbert Noble, and finally killing him. Like they were, it's not like he was just completely gone, dust in the wind. Yeah, and he probably still had small businesses. Yeah. Oh, you was, know, he was still he was, uh, extracting money out of well, Texas. He had, yeah, somehow yeah. he had people still running things over there. Yeah. Documents and records seized from Benny's safety deposit box at Hillcrest State Bank in Dallas showed that in 1948, Binion had netted more than a million dollars from his rackets in Dallas, and hardly any of it was reported to the Internal Revenue Service. <laughs> oh, shit. So he's now that's yeah. how they'll get you, you know? That's how Capone went down, right? It was tax evasion. That's, yeah. They'll get you with taxes eventually. You can murder countless people and get away with it if you're a crime boss, but taxes. That's right. Don't cheat the government, yeah, though. Uncle Sam will get you. Mm-mm. That's right. Juries uh, would end up finding Binion and his partner, Harry Urban, guilty of tax evasion. But while the judge in Dallas sent Urban to prison, Binion's case was transferred to, to Nevada jurisdiction. And of course, in Nevada, he was beloved and he got off with probation and a small fine. Oh, my God, but his partner went to prison. That's fucked up. You got to get your buddy out of prison, man. <laughs> you got to get old Harry out of prison. He took the fall for right. it. Right. I'm sure he got a nice you payout know, from ben, from Benny for taking most of the fall, he, you know? Shit, he better have. Ben, Benny probably left his ass in prison. So, oh, well. Yeah. Shit. Sorry, <laughs> Harry. That's the way it goes, buddy. Yep. Should have came to Nevada when I told you to. <laughs> Come on down to the Binion when you get out, and I'll take care of you. That's right. There you to go. To the horseshoe. Um, now this was not the end though. They still in Dallas had, had, they just got even more pissed off by this outraged by the light sentence. Dallas DA Henry Wade travels to Washington where he consulted with the U S attorney general, James McGranny, McGranary and other high officials. So they're taking it to the top. Now they're going, they're going to the Truman, Truman administration at the time about this and that that was these guys are petty as hell about all this shit they are spending so much time you know you know the thing he who angers you controls you benny was controlling all these motherfuckers right because what the hell just you're going all the way across the country well i mean all the way across the country you're in texas but still texas to dc yeah that's a long ass ride yeah you know what i'm saying like you're doing all this just to get this man just leave him the hell alone he's not bugging you anymore <laughs> i don't know i like how they go to fucking it's... dc to, to, to talk to the heads of the country to to get this oh, guy seriously just to get one guy Damn. like oh my god this guy they hard on is a understatement right. for this guy like they really wanted to see benny nail right they got blue balls for this guy <sighs> Yeah, they did. The following December, yeah. Benny pleaded guilty to federal charges of income tax evasion and state charges of operating an illegal policy wheel. The sentence, five years in a federal prison at Leavenworth. Leavenworth, we've heard about on several occasions, most notably with uh, good old, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Carl Panzram. Remember, he like, didn't he oh, jump off yes. the 30-foot wall or whatever? He like built his own ladder, oh, like shattered his he legs did that and shit Leavenworth? trying to escape Leavenworth. Oh, yeah, Leavenworth's in I Kansas, if I'm not mistaken, and it's one of the, it was one of the toughest prisons in the early days of America, where they, they still did the whole ball and chain treatment, treatment, made you break rocks all day oh, and shit in the sun. Shit. Yeah, yeah. It was no joke. Oh, I know Benny hated that. I know Benny ain't worked a hard day labor yeah, in his life. Exactly. Probably. Oh shit. So the five years in uh, prison at Leavenworth, a twenty, a fine of twenty thousand dollars, and a payment of seven hundred seventy-six thousand dollars in back taxes, penalties, and interest. Benny had a hard adjustment to the prison life, as you would under, you would uh, you know 
understandably. He didn't, the, yeah. the main complaint was the shoes. He didn't like the tight fitting sneakers. He was used to his cowboy boots. I found that hilarious. <laughs> I know. <laughs> just, right? ben, cowboy, just the idea of Benny even wearing sneakers is hilarious to me. <laughs> <laughs> right. How are cowboy boots looser than sneakers? What kind of sneakers are these? Oh. That makes no sense to me. There is a, you, you know what? If you, you have you worn cowboy boots? There's a lot of kind of like free moving. When you put them on, your feet are kind of like they're free to move around. I get it. Oh, I think they're I stupid they're as shit, wide. though. Like, I got a pair of cowboy boots. I've worn you them twice. Because my property is pretty rocky, Let's... and they, they have, like, a smooth bottom on them. Oh, yeah, so you have no traction. Do. I'm just slipping all over the place. I mean, these are so stupid. That, that's what I'm saying. Every time I wear them, I'm like, I'm so unprepared. I can't run fast <laughs> in yeah, these. Right? Like, if I have to jump a fence, my stupid... I mean, the only good thing is I can fit this point in a chain-link fence... Or maybe really fuck somebody up with the point of this boot. Yeah, if you kick him in the but, shin, it's going to hurt. Oh, yeah, it's really going to fuck him up. But you got a better chance of just rolling your ankle, go stepping out the house. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know. I, I just, I've never been a cowboy boot person. Like you said, they're so slippery, too. They're so yep. slippery. And when it rains out here in the, you know, in the southeast, everything's muddy and the grass is slippery. Ah, man, cowboy boots ain't the way. So if any of our listeners want a lightly used size 11 pair of cowboy boots, hit me <laughs> up. <laughs> I'm serious. I'll sell them to you. I don't want them. Uh, hey, I got I've some. Worn for them sale. twice. Yeah, I got some for sale too. Like I've got, I got some. I got some dope cowboy boots. I've actually been picking up because people like them. People really like yeah. cowboy boots. So I bought mine brand new for like over two hundred bucks, and then I, I, I had this whole idea. I was like, oh, I'll, it'd be nice to just slip them on when I got to go run outside to do something or whatever. I just, they've just sat in the closet. Yeah, yeah. You should get you some other slip-on boots, just like some flat bottom ones or something. You know, slippers, man. Slippers, <laughs> slippers. <laughs> <laughs> It's what cowboys yeah, wish you. cowboy boots wish they were. That's right. That's right. Um, so the, he didn't like the tight fitting sneakers while at uh, Leavenworth. He also didn't like the hard labor, which he was not accustomed Aww. to. You know, he was used to pointing and making other people do shit. That's so right. This whole dragging around a ball and chain and breaking rocks wasn't really his thing. Yeah. The only thing he drug around was suitcases full of money. That's shit. right. That's right. <laughs> and after a while, uh, though, he, he kind of warmed up to it. He ended up losing twenty pounds and was in the best shape of his life. Wow. And he actually began att attending church proceedings in the prison um, and kind of started believing in God for the first time. Well, what else are you going to do? He found his religion. What else are you going to do? He found his religion in Leavenworth from a Catholic priest, and he actually said, quote, religion is too strong a mystery to, no to doubt. Yeah, coming from a guy that can't read the Bible himself. Great. Right. You have to keep that in mind. This is, this is a man who is illiterate with no education, no type of any other culture or religion ever, and he's in prison. That's the way Catholic priests prefer their That's followers. the way they want you. That's the way they want you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you can't Ignorant. read it? That's let perfect. Me, let me tell you what it says. Let me, let me help yes. you out. Let me help you out. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So he ended up doing 42 months of hard time in Leavenworth and was released in October of 1957 when he was 52 years old. And never again would Benny Binion be allowed to hold a gambling license in Nevada not that it really mattered because at this point he could just have his family, his his yeah, he um, didn't care. elder children run the business as well as his wife. Yep, old Teddy Jane was still by his side. Yep. Teddy Jane and his eldest son Jack were much better, uh, much more able to handle the daily affairs of the casino and hotel business while he could be kind of like that uh, mascot or staple, that, that legend that would sit in the booth and talk to people and like, you know. Also, he also still played an intimidation an role factor. In that He's also an intimidation factor, just having yeah. him alive and being in the casino with the connections that he had. I'm yeah. sure that that played a big role, just being there. Yeah, and it's funny, the yin and yang of his relationship, because Teddy Jane was so different than him. She was much more reserved and cautious of people than mm -hmm. 
Um, she was a good, hard-headed woman, not easily influenced by the gamblers and gangsters who took advantage of Benny's generous nature from time to time. Teddy Jane ran the casino as though it were a mom-and-pop cafe, trusting no one but herself to make the bank deposits. Smart. Um, and Benny, Benny would go on to mellow over the years. He was known as very approachable, as we mentioned, if you showed him respect. And he, as we said, he didn't keep an office. He had that booth in the restaurant downstairs. Mm-hmm. And nobody needed an appointment to talk to him. They just asked him personally for his ear and usually got it. And he would tell old cowboy stories from Texas and he would even brag about some of the killings that he had perpetrated. Oh, of course. <laughs> you know, if it was the right company. It's kind of like, if I'd have um, done it, this is what happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right, if I had done it. Um, when, when he invited one to sit down and have a bowl of Horseshoe's famous chili, the guest was often a senator or a federal judge and just as often was some, uh, just as often with some old Texan trading stories of rodeos and crap games. <laughs> Uh, here's a, a an example of his good his goodwill towards people. If you were nice to him, when yeah. a preacher from North Carolina, there we go, we got oh, Las Vegas and North Carolina are. in baby North Kakalaki making a making an appearance. You know it had to happen. That's right, and it had so to be when a preacher, preacher. Of course, yeah, of course. <laughs> when a preacher from North Carolina came to Vegas and lost, uh, actually, I think this says a thousand, but I, in the book it was ten thousand dollars he Holy lost shit. of his congregation's money shooting craps at the horseshoe. And he was distraught and went to Benny, and Benny gave him 1,000 of it back and said, God may forgive you, preacher, but your congregation won't, and told He's him right not about to tell that. them. He's he right told him that. not to tell them. He yeah. said, keep it a secret. I know that goes against what you believe and whatnot, but keep it a secret. And he actually, like six months later, got a certified letter back from the preacher with a $1,000 cashier's check and a thank you saying that I never told him, and my life's great. And I'm glad I never did tell him. (laughs) Sometimes people just need a second chance, man. Leading a whole congregation like that is a lot of pressure. And this this dude, he just cracked under it. Maybe his church was failing, and he was like, I'm going to take this $10,000. I'm going to turn it into 50 to save my congregation and to save my church. And then it didn't work out. And then he's like, oh, shit, now it looks like I just stole all the money. And yeah. I mean, generally, gambling is not the answer to all your questions, or to, <laughs> no. all, to all your problems. No, especially with your fucking church donations. <laughs> yeah, don't take that down there. Benny, Benny was right. 100% right. That congregation would have crucified him if he went right. back and told them. Absolutely yep. crucified him. He'd be gone. Be yep. gone. And maybe like beat the, beat the shit or something. Who knows, man? Yeah. Because. Benny told them all you need is God's forgiveness, not them. So, oh, man. Yeah. Mm. Funny. In 1970, Benny would start something not knowing that it would become worldwide um, and become a huge ordeal, but uh, it helped to further solidify his legend. In 1970, he he, uh, invited seven of the best-known poker players to the Horseshoe Casino for a single tournament with a set start time and stop time and a winner determined by a secret ballot of seven players. Johnny Moss, the grandfather of poker, would be voted the winner in its first year. It's now known as the World Series of Poker, you can catch it on ESPN. Um, it's a it's a big deal, and the winner takes home a million dollars, ten thousand dollar buy in. Thousands of players enter the tournament every year. Mm. Super fun to watch. I think the biggest thing that made it entertaining for me to watch on TV was when they started. They added the little camera on the table to where you can see what cards each player has, yes. and you can see the mind games. You can see the whole thing play out. That's crucial. Seeing their hand and then being able to see the way they react. If you can't see that, it's so boring as shit. You know when they're <laughs> bluffing. You know yeah. it's yeah. It's 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 drama playing out in front of your eyes. It really it's is beautiful. It really is. It's it's a slow burn, but it can be interesting if you fully understand the game and you know the hands. It can be interesting. I I used to be like, who would watch this? But 
when I started getting more involved in poker and learning the rules and hands and whatnot, it is it is an interesting thing to watch. But I mean, yeah. now though, but everybody covers everything. Like these guys are wearing like sunglasses and hoodies and fucking bandanas. It's like, what's the point? Like, damn, I can play like that. Fuck. Right. <laughs> Going in there with a ski mask yeah. on. <laughs> like, yeah. what the I, hell? I, don't... I think it's a beautiful game, Texas Hold'em. I, I I can't get enough of it. I, I we do tournaments um, with family and friends sometimes, and it's. For me, I have an addictive personality. So when I get those two cards, that I get that dopamine drip. Like, what do I got? You know, and you, yeah. you, peel, you peel the cards up and you see what you got, and you know what you have, and they don't know, and it's this fun mind game <laughs> playing out. What do you do? What's your poker face? Do you just stay chill the whole time, or you are? Yeah, um, you, just, you just don't talk. I think much if I had to tell, it would be that I'm I'm more I'm more calm when I have great cards. You know, I'm just kind of quiet and just, of course, um, oh. slow playing. I don't I don't like bet a lot right away when I have good cards. Uh huh. I wait it out. I stay in. I'll just match other people's bets, and then at the end, I'll hit you with the big bet ah. and hope that you call. Yeah, you want to see how many people are gonna how many people are gonna fold. The classic slow play. Yeah, you know, I got you. I got you. Very nice. Yep. Um, so then uh, we're into the later years now of Benny Binion, where he's more of a a figure at the casino, and his his family's more running it. And as we mentioned, we'll get more into the family in part two. Um, but he does something else that that really changes the future of Las Vegas. And in 1985, he, wanting to help both his city and his cowboy comrades, he accomplished the goal with the move of the National Finals Rodeo from Oklahoma City to Las Vegas, where it it returns every year. This is the one year that it hasn't been held in Las Vegas because of COVID, unfortunately. It was in Texas this year, in 2020 at least. Right. Um, But I've gone to it for the last like four years. I went like 2016 through, or no, it's like 2015 through 2019. Yeah. And would have gone again this year if it weren't for it being, you know, in Texas this year. Isn't but, it at the South Point Casino? No, it's at um, it's at the Thomas and Mac. Oh, they have something at the South Point Casino every year. What is what is all that? Oh man? yeah, they have they have all kinds of um, rodeo events and stuff at the South Point oh, okay. all the time, like all year long. Because I remember coming up the 15, and I mean, a couple of times a year, I would see the whole side of the 15 where you're coming up by the South Point. It's like bulls and horses mm-hmm. just in cages. It's unreal how yeah, they yeah. can. They've made that their thing. They have the big arena yeah. where they do all kinds of roping and. Yeah, barrel racing and all kinds of stuff there. It's crazy how that casino can transform in just like a weekend. It's it's incredible. Right. Yeah. So uh, he never forgot the Cowboys after they arrived either. He always paid their entry fees and um, and for their championship event. And when the casino closed, Boyd Gaming took up the tradition that the Binions start Binions started by continuing to pay all the entry fees even. Uh, every year during the NFR, there is a large rodeo stock auction called Benny Binion's World Famous Buckling, Buck, Bucking Horse and Bull Sale. Nice. So he still remains a, a big part of the NFR yeah. to this day, and like, everyone dresses the way he dressed too, of course. Of course. Cowboy. Yeah. Button-up shirts in the front with the jeans, shirt tucked in. Yep. <clears throat> Justin boots. They ready. Yep. <clears throat> Slipping all over the so damn place. It, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> right. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> so into his 80s, he was kind of physically falling apart, but he remained a consultant and staple at the Horseshoe until his death in uh, 1989 at the age of 85. Um, and he was described in, a, in an epitaph by a, a great poker player named Amarillo Slim Preston, a quote that sums him up really well, quote, he was either the gentlest bad guy or the baddest good guy you'd ever seen. <laughs> and I Makes think that's sense. A, yeah. That's a, it's a, he is a contradictory, per, I mean, he's a, a walking oxymoron. I mean, he was, 
known as a gentle giant, uh, you know, great guy, but he also had some, uh, you know, some real dark stuff on his record. Yeah, yeah. He was posthumously inducted into the Poker Hall of Fame in 1990, and four years later, in 1994, his wife, Teddy Jane, would pass away as well. Mm. And that ends part one of the Binion Chronicles here. Wow. Two-part series on the Binion family. Um, in part two, we'll get into his kids, what they were up to during this time, because they have stories of their own, mainly one, Ted. Yes, Ted. As a story that we will cover in large, his death and how it occurred and the people potentially behind it. It's interesting. Very interesting. That's that's what we that's what made us start looking into the Binions. And then when we looked into then we started refreshing ourselves on Benny's life and it's like, wow, uh, we should just do a whole, a whole episode just on yeah, Benny first. This is crazy. If you're gonna if you're gonna do the Ted Binion murder, you have to know Benny Binion, you have to know the past of the Binion family, that's right. what got them to that point. And Benny Binion's life is every bit, if not more interesting than Ted Binion's murder. I agree. So, I agree. As you guys now know. 100%. 100%. Man. Yeah. What a life. What a life. I hope it's made into a movie soon. I really do. I would love to see this right. on the screen. Love to see it on the screen. Yep. You know what they should have been handing out at the entrance to the Binion's horseshoe in that sweaty, smoky uh, poker at those poker tables and at the craps tables, they everybody should have been wearing some. Oh my Gaia! I I thought you were gonna say that. I thought you were gonna say that. They really should have. They really should. Have. Everybody saw that segue coming, man. That was no secret. They, nah, it's no secret. They know what's up. <laughs> if you guys, if you don't know what Oh My Guy is, it's an innovative, all-natural deodorant, fragrance, and beard oil company specializing in paraben and aluminum-free products. Their innovative line of deodorants inhibit the growth of odor-causing bacteria while maintaining effectiveness. At Oh My Gaia, they use only all-natural, paraben, and aluminum-free organic ingredients. Guys, there's a, definitely a scent to fit your style, to fit, you know, your feel, whatever it is. There's vanilla, cherry almond, sandalwood, lavender, lemongrass, Egyptian musk, coconut, dreamsicle, leather, lumberjack, honeysuckle, fireside, uh, bergamot, amber. Uh, pear is a new scent that I, I don't think I've met anyone that doesn't like pear yet. Pear is a, an amazing scent. Also... Uh, we have our very own scent made especially for true crime guys. It's called True Crime Pine. It has our old school podcast logo on there, guys. It's a great unisex scent. Highly recommend it as well. And because you guys are True Crime Guys listeners, you can use the word creeper for 15% off your order. That's C-R-E-E-P-E-R. And you can get 15% off your order on oh my, at ohmygaia.com or at shop underscore ohmygaia on Instagram. Again, that's ohmygaia.com, O-H-M-Y-G-A-I-A.com, or at shop underscore ohmygaia on Instagram. Look into it, guys. You will not regret it. Not only is the deodorant great, but the scented oils are great. Uh, oh My Gaia has incense now. So many things for you to be smelling great. Okay, you're spending a lot of time in your house, spending a lot of time around people. At least you could do is smell good, smell your house up, have a good time, right? That's right. That's the spiel. Right. I want to take a minute to thank those of you who have gone and rated reviews, uh, rated and reviewed the show on iTunes and uh, other places. Uh, in the past week, I want to say thanks to, we got Ali Veld in the U.S. said, when you need more true crime in your life, five stars. There Left a, a long written review. Appreciate it. And we got Hole 9000 in Canada said, binge worthy. Love the intros. Love the banter. Don't change a thing. Five stars. Thank enough. you. Thank you, Canada. Then we got uh, Nizal 
in the U.S. said the boys, five stars. Listen to you Go guys boys. all day at work. Love the chemistry between you two. Lighthearted with a heavy subject. Thanks, guys. Thank you. And we got Nate118 in the U.S. said greatest true crime podcast ever. Five oh, stars, bunch of fire Nate. emojis. Thank you. Concise and to the point. We got Ugh Annoyed by Apple <laughs> by, uh, in the U.S., and they're not annoyed with our podcast because oh, it's five stars and five and five star, uh, fire emojis. Oh, they uh, said so they listen to a lot of true crime podcasts. Can't believe they just recently discovered us. Love the format, and, and they leave the political uh, views out of it, unlike other podcasts. That we definitely try to keep keep that out of it. It's, yeah, like I said several times in this show, I just, just generally don't like politicians anyway. So right, there's there's no point in bringing me. that up, guys. It, our points don't matter. You believe yeah. what you want to believe for your reasons. And that's all that matters. We're here to talk crime. That's that's it. right. That's right. And hang out with y'all. There's enough of that shit in the world right now. True that. Then we got Rhea Lee, 13, in the U.S., said, love it, five stars. Love to hear, so nice to hear more detail. Uh, haven't heard so much detail in other podcasts like, like ours. Uh, then we got Ellen Rocks in the U.S., said, my new go-to, five stars. Also just found us, it sounds like. Um, we got Eva the Diva in the U.S., said, only listen to one so far, and finally something uh, they like besides Morbid. They're respectful, amusing, and tell the story very well. I, I can see why you like us and Morbid. Morbid seems very similar to our show, um, with two ladies that joke around and keep it keep it light while also telling details of the story. Right. Um, and then we got. Oh, okay. I already got that one. There was a couple other people I wanted to shout out, but I'll have to find those if you want to talk Patreon and stuff. And yeah. Shout out some more stuff. Yeah, guys. Besides leaving a review, the number one way to help the show is joining Patreon. Patreon.com slash guys. And for just two bucks a month, you guys can get access to hundreds of audio files that are only exclusively on Patreon now. Um, from exclusive episodes, which we release every single month, every four weeks. Or uh, Higher Thoughts with Michael. There's a whole episode that I did. Thirty-five. I mean, a whole Cat, uh, catalog of episodes, rather. It's 35 episodes, Higher Thoughts with Michael, if you like a good palate cleanser from True Crime. I don't even remember what's in those episodes, for obvious reasons. But anyways, you guys want to check those out. There's there's other content. There's Just the Banter, which me and Lauren release every Friday. And occasionally we do a, uh, a .5 episode, like 12.5 or 13.5, and it ends up being just one of us on there. So you kind of there's a lot of variations of different kind of content on Patreon. You get to know us a lot more. Uh, we're able to be a little more interactive with people on Patreon because the way that Patreon sorts out the comments and the messages and things like that, it just makes it easier for us to to interact with listeners. So Patreon.com/slash/TrueCrimeGuys is the number one way to support the show, guys. Um, also, we have merch. TrueCrimeGuys.Threadless.com is our newest merch site. There's also merch available on Redbubble. You can go on redbubble.com and search True Crime Guys or Ken Custom as well. And there's links to all of these merch sites below. Uh, Threadless is just the most current and the most uh, is the newest designs that we have available. And there'll be new designs added to that soon. I'm actually working on some new merch designs as we speak. So hopefully those will be in the store very soon. Um, and you can also get Strange and Unexplained merch there as well. Strange and Unexplained is our other podcast. You can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. If you just type in True Crime Guys into your podcast search engine, you should find Strange and Unexplained with two velociraptors on the on the uh, front cover there. You can't miss it. We just released episode 42 about some missing movers. It just came out this past Monday. So 
If you guys are all caught up on uh, True Crime Guys stuff and True Crime Guys Patreon, be sure to check out Strange and Unexplained. And there's still more underneath the TCG umbrella for you guys. So, all right, did you find some more of those shout-outs? Yes, I do. And I figured we could start hitting some like comments that we get on other platforms. This week we'll hit CastBox. We get comments on there. And some of the positive comments we've gotten over the last while, all the way back to like August of last year, I want to thank Christy, Holly Ann Sloan, uh, we got Denise Litwin, Allie Ellis, uh, um, Lady Butterfly, mm-hmm. and Vanessa Eady, who's an Australian, a skulky Australian freeloader. Okay. Um, said we're bloody legends and stay outside the box. And if it's not your cup of tea, move along. And we agree. That's man. right. We love people that just that just get it. You that's know, right. Understand how the show is. Don't put us in a box. Don't put us in a box. That that's not going to work out too well for you. As we're going to yeah. do some weird shit and be like, what what are they doing on this episode? Don't worry about it. Okay, it's new shit. <laughs> yeah. We 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 find it hard to be too serious. That's just our personalities. Yeah, yeah. It's not for everybody. That's right. But we we try to be serious at the right moments. That's the important thing, and we try to cover the cases. You know. Yeah. Uh, keeping in mind the victims and also trying to shit on the uh, the killers more often than not. Right. Right. It's it's a delicate balance, but I feel like we walk it pretty well yeah. most episodes. Yeah. All right. But. All right, man. Is that it? We will see you next week for part two of the Binions. Next week we cover Ted Binion's murder. Don't don't Google too much into it if you don't if you don't want it spoiled. Yeah, it's a it's a crazy one, and there's there's going to be a lot of discussion, a lot of speculation in that episode. So looking forward to having some conversation, discussing with you guys after part two. So that's right. See you next week. Keep creeping. Keep creeping, guys. In the desert, we like a mirage It's okay if you clicked on us Cause you thought we was True Crime Garage Now we ain't mad at you Sit down, let us talk at you I'm talking to the Creeper Army We out here making murder True Crime Garage In the desert, we like a mirage It's okay if you clicked on us Cause you thought we was True Crime Garage Now we ain't mad at you Sit down, let us talk at you I'm talking to the Creeper Army. We out here making murder charming. Yeah.